MMA Junkie, we take a spin through the biggest stories in MMA on this week's docket. The UFC's headed back to Bean Town with two title fights, UFC 292. Let's fight week. Bellator would like the UFC to hold their beers. Bellator 300 was announced, and they have four title fights coming up, but that's in October. And Conor McGregor, between cheering for Anthony Joshua and shoving beer down his throat, post-fight, he also gives us an update on what's next in his career, all that, and much more. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Gorgeous George, and with me, as always, some of the sharpest MMA minds in the biz. Joining me this week goes from MMA Junkie Radio. He's the SBC creator. We have him to thank for all this madness. Dan Tom is our fight analyst, and he's also the the uh, host of Protect Your Neck podcast. Check that out. And the Boston Shot Callers back, Nolan King. He's in the house. He's going to have a busy week because the UFC is in his hood. All right, guys, let's get started. Mike Bond is back from serving beers in Germany. He is going to be doing the ones and twos behind the scenes. Let's get to it. It's fight week, fellas. The UFC is headed to Boston for UFC 292. And at the top of the bill, we have Aljamain Sterling versus Sean O'Malley. Lots to talk about in my favorite weight class. I'm all about the Bantamweights. Is this the biggest fight, uh, Bantamweight title fight ever? Is Aljo the Bantamweight goat already, or does he need a win? Let's unpack all this. Nolan, start things off, man. They're headed your way. You must be pumped. Yeah, I'm stoked, man. It's been a long three and a half years or almost four years since the UFC came here. Obviously, from the, the pandemic on, they have not been. The last time they were here was October 2019 when Dominic Reyes uh, knocked out Chris Weidman right before he got his title shot at John Jones. So that seems like a lifetime ago. Um, but they are here. They have a big Bantamweight title fight. Card's taken a number of different hits to the main card, but that one fight has remained intact. And I think that's the, the money fight, right? That's the one that everybody's excited for. It's a great main event. And it might be up there with the best Bantamweight or biggest Bantamweight title fights of all time. It's kind of hard to tell. I think there's maybe some rivalries in the past that have been a little bit bigger through, you know, Dom Cruz and, and, and Dillashaw or Dillashaw and Garbrandt. So that, that remains to be seen. But I definitely think in terms of Bantamweight history, this might be one of the biggest fights in that division's history, particularly because not only is this the surging contender, the guy that the UFC has tried to, to really boost and really promote and could be the next big thing, the next big star, uh, Sean O'Malley getting his first title shot. But I think for Aljamain Sterling, it's equally as if not more important. This is a real legacy fight for him. If there's doubt in people's minds right now that he's the, not the – you know, th- th- there's some people out there that think he's not the greatest bantamweight of all time as it stands right now. I think he definitely has the ability to persuade a bunch of them with this fight. I think this really puts a bow on it. If it is his fi- final fight at bantamweight, I mean, this is his really his last shot to really expand that legacy and, and drive up drive that conversation forward. So I'm excited for it. I think it's a great fight. It's an intriguing matchup. It's uh, one that that r- there's a lot riding on it. It's just that's more than a title. So. Um, great main event and, and one that's pretty big, if not the biggest in Bantamweight history. Thank you for all that, Nolan. Boy, do you sound grumpy, man. This is gross what you just said. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, Dan, how about you, man? Share with us your thoughts on UFC 292, the Bantamweights. I know you're a fan of that weight class and these fighters. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely a fan of Bantamweight. As far as the fighter, uh, the fights go, greatest fight, greatest uh, fighter. You know, it, it, we'll, we'll see about that. Uh, I think Aljamain Sterling definitely has, you know, anybody is, uh, who's calling him the greatest isn't crazy 
for me, it's still Dominic Cruz, uh, and as well as Dominic Cruz still holding that title for the, uh, the greatest fight. I recently did top five bantamweight fights, as I've been doing evergreen content. For those of you who've been noticing, thank you very much for the loves and shares. We recently did the bantamweight fights. Gonna have to redo my flyweight fights, by the way. Some Russian ones and what happened with Pantoja and Moreno. But going back over bantamweight fights, you know, it's really hard to get around, not including that second fight with Uriah Faber and Dominic Cruz, two guys who really did their parts in building two different divisions, but as far as Bantamweight goes, that's probably still a really big one. You know, if we look back in history, I'm sure George and Goes will have their opinions on this too. But, uh, you know, we'll see about that. Is it a big fight? Absolutely. Am I excited? Absolutely. Nice. Yes. Um, Dan, I want to ask you, do you think Aljo walks in as the GOAT already, or can he accomplish it with this win, or does he still trail dominant Cruz, who I think is everybody else's. And, you know, to be fair, John Annix already kind of put that crown on him. So has Sean O'Malley, although Sean O'Malley could just be playing, um, you know, maybe building up what he is about to win. It's like a little strategy that in, uh, in pro wrestling of putting your opponent over as well. You know, people talk about different weight classes and titles and title defenses. And these are all obviously things that need to be in the conversation, right? I'm not crapping on that. But what isn't talked about is fighting generational talents, uh, fighting different generations, and not just the generations before you, because sometimes you really uh, don't get those opportunities. And when they do, it's one of those things like, oh, he bought, you fought the shell of Hen and Burrell, right? And no offense to Hen and Burrell, but Hen and Burrell came after Dominic Cruz, and Hen and Burrell is probably Aljo's, what, probably his best legacy win. And mainly Aljamain Sterling has been fighting and beating and convincingly beating a lot of times, right? Uh, the fighters of his era, whereas Dominic Cruz has kind of fought fighters from like three or four eras. Like his win over Casey Kenny means a lot. It doesn't sound like it means a lot, especially in the pantheon of Dominic Cruz, but older fighters fighting post prime is something we saw in boxing, you know, uh, Roberto Duran versus Iran Barkley, one of his best wins, because not just going up in weight, not just late in the career, you know, these are pro post prime victories and the greats. If we really want to talk about greats, longevity and the combat sports that we compare to don't know why it doesn't get matched up enough. And uh, Dominic Cruz, you know, fighting four different generations at bantamweight where you're supposed to age out. And most people can't even say they have notable victories in, in three generations or two. Yeah, Dominic Cruz. All right, fair enough. Um, let's move to Goes. Goes, share your thoughts on this big fight that's coming up between Aljo and Sean O'Malley. How big is it in your eyes? And how big could Sean O'Malley come out of this should he be the winner? I think it's really big. I, I don't know if it's the biggest. To me, honestly, the last one was probably one of the bigger ones, Cejudo. I mean, that's that's one of the biggest names in combat sports overall. So that, to me, was pretty huge. With Sean O'Malley, what I think is actually really big, it's big for Dana White's Contender Series. I mean, what a great way to, to promote a show like that and then having an alum actually fighting for a title again. I think that's very big news. But Aljamain Sterling, you know, Dan touched on a lot of stuff like, a lot of that stuff, I feel bad that it's it's kind of out of his control. For me, I still have Dominic Cruz in that spot, um, but it could it could very well change this weekend. It just sucks, you know. There's certain things that have happened to Aljamain Sterling that are kind of out of his control. With, with T.J. Dillashaw, like it's hard to take that out of your mind, right? Knowing that a guy was that compromised going into a fight is that Aljamain Sterling's fault? No, right? The Peter Yawn situation wasn't really, you know. It, there's so many of those types of things that kind of hurt Aljamain Sterling. If I'm him, man, a win over Sean O'Malley, I think, is a big deal. This kid's getting better with every fight. Um, he's already impressive now. 
but he does show improvement. And I think it will be a pretty good fight. At the end of that fight, I think that's where things get tricky, guys. I think that's where we all kind of wonder, well, what's going to happen next with Aljamain Sterling? And if I'm Aljamain Sterling, I think I stick around. I, as I don't know how bad these cuts are for him. Hopefully, they're not the worst thing in the world. But if he can do them, boy, can he really cement some sort of legacy going forward if he could stick in his division and kind of muster up a few more wins. I think that's something that will be just insurmountable. I think we'll all kind of forget the little nuances that that came with with his title run. If he can kind of tack on a couple more, we'll be talking about this dude for a long time. But overall, I think this is going to be a fun fight. Yep, and I disagree with M in the chat. He's not that pumped up about this fight. The chat, by the way, of course, you can all chime in with questions and comments. And, of course, I was joking with my man, Nolan. He always rings it strong. That was just a jab at Oliver Heisen-Williams, who's just not digging the show. Hey, man, keep tuning in, and I think we'll change your mind because all we do is our job here, and that's discuss mixed martial arts, the biggest stories in MMA, and we do it every week here. We will be doing it 11 a.m. Eastern, uh, 8 8 a.m. Pacific for the next few weeks, and then we'll go back to our normal start times. Combat Companion. Welcome to you as well, Don Piccolo. Hey, what's up? Sky V's and El Daddy, we missed you live last week, but we're seeing you here live with us right now. Now, M, to be clear, is saying Aljo versus O'Malley is so lame for real fight fans that I'm already bored with this buildup. If Bantamweight is so full of highly skilled fighters and is full of great fights, why is Aljo testing his legacy versus O'Malley? I mean, the guy's like 16-1, and one, and he beat a former champion in P- Peter Yan. So I think O'Malley, we got to get past this whole the UFC showing him some favoritism or anything like that. Right, fellas? Mm, It's kind of a tough situation because I I get where he's coming from, but he's proven, you know, at at every corner that he he is a pretty good fighter and he he is improving with every fight. So I think um, after a while, trust me, I was one of those guys. I was kind of like, I still don't know what we have with this guy. And honestly, to this point. I'm still not sure, but it's more towards the good side than it is the bad side. I think he's kind of shown us, especially in that Yon fight, he can hang. The question is now, can he get over that hump? And that's what we got to figure out. But I, I feel where he's coming from. I think, uh, I just feel like maybe he should have shed that in the last fight. My thing is, like, O'Malley's, O'Malley's the next guy up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this is the legacy fight is the whole picture. So for him to add another win potentially over the next guy up, uh, you know, it's not like Sean's like the number seven and they're really reaching. Like, I think outside of Marab, you know, you kind of make that argument that maybe he's also, you know, done as much to earn a shot, but that's obviously not happening because he's a teammate. Like O'Malley's the next guy. So this is just another, this will just be another feather in, in uh, Aljo's cap taking out the next contender. And that whole picture, I think, is really what makes this the legacy fight. Yeah. And, uh, I just think he's he's obviously a star. I think it'll be good for Aljo, you know, because O'Malley brings a big spotlight to the division as well. And and Aljo slowly has been winning people over. The way he won the title, obviously that didn't sit well with many people. But, man, these title defenses are starting to get racked up. You got to give the man some respect. It should be a great one. Why I'm seeing cringe and delusional main event, man, I totally disagree with you, Sky V's and El Daddy. But I respect the comment. And the questions that come in here through the chat, and I encourage them to uh, keep coming through. That's right, Mulatu Vanguard. He says, the sugar show. All right. Um, let's continue here to the next topic. We can always head back at the end. We have some time. UFC 293 finally got its main event with Israel Adesanya, slated to defend his middleweight title versus Sean Strickland. 
So what's your level of interest from one to 10, fellas? That's the question. Now, I want to also give you some follow-ups to think about as we got closer to September 9th, because this just happened, right, a few days ago, and we were not having a main event. Did shelving meant Adesanya versus DDP, did that become a strong and wise possibility in your opinion? What are your thoughts here, Dan? You lead off. Uh, as far as did it become a strong, uh, you know, a, a leader for that fight? Yeah, I think actually, I think we talked about this last time and it got me a lot of love and attention, by the way, in the comments. A lot of upset DDP fans. Um, I thought it was a real possibility. And if anything, I, you know, I thought, uh, again, speaking of overachieving, we're talking about O'Malley perhaps overachieving. Drakus uh, did, did as well, uh, did not overachieve in that department. And uh, kind of agreeing with Nolan in the previous segment and kind of borrowing from that point, right? Because albeit not as strongly, clearly, I think you can still kind of apply that UFC math here as far as the next up. Um, now, with the O'Malley case, you could have argued that was normal practice in any era. In this era, I think especially, not that I agree with it, not that you should agree with it, folks, but in this era, we should especially not be surprised by decisions like this. Because even when we can accuse and throw rocks at the UFC for going, oh, you're just going with the marketable guy in O'Malley. Um, sometimes in this case, we'll see they will not go with a marketable fight because now the schedule, that relentless UFC schedule that never stops, feel like Andy Dufresne in the hole over here. Uh, that is the number one priority. It's, it's clear. We know what their priority. It's bottom lines, budgets, and schedule. Yeah, I had just wondered if, you know, I really was thinking, guys, they could just turn this into a fight night, go with, you know, the local talent, New Zealand, Australia. Obviously, they have some very talented fighters, maybe make the Kai Car France of an all-cop fight, the main event, and then just, you know, scrap it, you know. But but I guess they've also set 294 in motion, 295, so who knows? Now, Strickland brings a, a pretty big game, and here's some thoughts from Adesanya that he put out, and then we'll go to the guys to finish out. Adesanya, quote, said, I never underestimate anyone. I was even thinking about Bisping versus Rockhold when Bisping finally beat him on two weeks' notice. He goes in there and shocks the world. That's a possible reality. My job is to make sure it's not in this reality. That's another parallel, uni parallel universe, another timeline. So Izzy Styles is definitely taking him serious. How about you, Goes? How do you feel about all this, the announcement, the booking, uh, you know, Izzy's quotes? Well, I guess, look, you wanted a 1 to 10. I'll be honest with you. Right about now, it's about 7.5, okay? It has that little bit of a letdown because I think we all wanted it to be Drikas, right? Didn't happen. But this fight's going to grow on us, and I feel like come fight night, it's going to be up at the 8, 8.5 range. Um, and, and it's for a few reasons, right? Like, look, number one, Izzy's earned our respect, right? Has he not? He just, when he fights, it's must-watch TV. He has done that. He has made that situation for us. So you got to give him props there. Sean Strickland, he's got zero filter. You know he's going to open his mouth. You know he's going to get under Izzy's skin. He's already doing it, and he hasn't even opened his mouth yet. Uh, so that's another reason. And then Israel Adesanya just kind of said it there with that Luke Rockhold quote. He's not invincible. You know, this could happen. It's happened to other people in this situation. It's happened to him before. So I think all that together is enough for us to kind of be excited to watch this. Like, you get... A guy like Sean Strickland, whether you believe he needs to, he deserves to be there or not, the dude always comes in shape. He has cardio for days. He fights 205ers. He doesn't back down. He's going to give you an honest fight. And you get that at Israel Adesanya every time. So I think, look, when you think about Drikos Diplasis, yes. Okay, he's not there. 
But you know what? I don't think that fight's ever going to be lost. I think it has zero to do with wins and losses. It really just comes down to settling a beef. It's kind of like that high school fight where you can't wait till last period's over because two guys are just going to show up and settle a score. That's what we're going to have with those guys. So I feel like it's going to happen regardless. But with Strickland Adesanya, I'm getting there, man. It, it, it's it's kind of a weird fight, but I think come fight night, I'll be pumped up. Hell yeah, I remember them uh, high school fights They're the best, back in the day, you? right across the street behind Jack in the Box. It was on, man. As soon as sixth period was over, oh, I love high school. Best five years of my life. All right, Nolan King, how about you, man? Uh, what are your thoughts here on this announcement, the fight itself? Give me a one to ten. My one to ten right now is probably at like a four, to be honest with you. And, and honestly, in terms of like Dan touched on a minute ago, the UFC schedule makes things sometimes they just need to fill slots, right? This one for me, I understand like having a champion that is local, you want to have them headline this show, right? So I, as much as I'm not excited for the matchup itself, I also think like with Dreek is out of the picture, this was the right call. So Maybe I'll get a little bit more excited as, as we get closer to the fight. Maybe I'll talk myself into it. Maybe some of the buildup between the fighters, besides what uh, I heard somebody reference, will likely be similar to a Call of Duty lobby. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think for, for me, that who knows? Who knows what's going to happen with that trash talk? I don't even want to go in that direction. But in terms of the fight itself, you know, Sean Strickland, we've seen him lose before. We've seen him eke out close decisions. His last fight, he looked great. Um, but I still think even though some people are treating him like he's an absolute bum in the fighting department when they talk about this matchup, I still think that Izzy's just such a, a step up from him at this point. Um, who knows? This is MMA. We've seen crazier things happen for sure. Um, maybe Sean's really putting it all together and coming into his own. Maybe he learned a lot from fighting Alex Pereira in ter terms of what not to do. Um, but I think, you know, in, in any universe as of right now, Israel Adesanya should be, you know, a pretty moderate to heavy favorite against Sean Strickland. Yeah, and I'm glad Mike on the, was showing the B-roll of that dais at UFC 276 last year because I think if Strickland has that opportunity to do what he did then, I mean, he was in Adesanya's head that day, and he was fighting Fajeda. Adesanya had cannon here, but you could just tell Adesanya's like, where's this coming from, you know? Yeah, there you go right there. But, I mean, something like that, man, I'm telling you, there can be a last-minute buildup so that by the time these guys fight, we're all ears. We're all in. Right now, you know, I, we, I didn't hear any nines or tens, but I think we can maybe get there. And I think a lot of it has to do with Sean Strickland's ability to, on fight week, to just engage and build things up. Sometimes crossing the line. Yes, I get it. But this is the fight game. Uh, and that's, this is MMA. Things like that happen. And, things like that. I, I do love what you said earlier. I love that hearing what you just mentioned about Izzy taking this seriously. You know, it's very easy, I think, in MMA yeah. from when Conor McGregor would go out there and say, you know, this guy, they'd give him everybody in the top 10. And he'd say, this guy sucks. That guy sucks. This guy's wrestling. This guy, you know, is a bum. This, all this stuff. And it's like, it's cool to a certain degree to, to, to just try to put yourself on that level where you're so much better than everyone. But at the same time, I think, does it really help your brand too? If you're saying that all the people that you are fighting suck? Like, so I think it's good promotion for Izzy to, to, to say, hey, this is a serious fight. You guys might not think it is, but I do. I think that kind of legit, legitimizes it in people's heads. And also for himself, man, you know, to, to not be the the Mike uh, the uh, Michael uh, Luke Rockhold on the the side of the Michael Bisping equation, you know. So mm -hmm. good championship mindset from him. He's come a long way, man. I I really appreciate him as a champ at this point. Hey guys, but look, all, all of the the smack talk, all that, that's great. 
But once they cl- close those cage doors, it comes down to the X's and O's. What are we left with, right? And we got our fine analyst here, Dan. Like when I'm watching, even when Mike, Mike was showing some of that B-roll, like the thing that kind of concerns me about Sean Strickland is his head just doesn't move. And when you have a pinpoint striker like Israel Adesanya, that's trouble, dude. It really is. You cannot give him that kind of opening. He's like R2-D2. Like it just does not move. And he stands right there. What when you look at this fight, Dan, like X's and O's, what, what do you see so far early on? I mean, yeah, there's definitely that as far as, you know, Israel Adesanya's counter-striking. He's shown that he can do it against the size parity, uh, which there is going to be some size and reach parity. I guess my only worry, which can also happen when you have the tall fighters going against each other, um, and one of them likes to counter, at least one party likes to counter. If not, you know, sometimes both. I know Strickland will do steady pressure with the jab. Um, I do worry, you know, even though Strickland, you know, uh, tends to tends to, 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 to try to – pressure and bring it and Israel Adesanya obviously can do a lot I more worry about not so much the winner guys I worry if we get a stinker of a fight I mean we're talking about the building and the excitement level not being there right which is totally fair by the way um but yeah I do wonder what happens if we get a a stinker of the fight uh, if you guys have noticed um you know again the UFC schedule whether it's you know doing impromptu fights like the Bantamweight fight that people are unfairly begging on Corey Sanhagen for or the impromptu welterweight fight with the guy with the brain bleed um, you know, the thing with going with the UFC schedule and making guys fight um, in not the best conditions, right, or having full camps, you don't always get the best performances. This isn't an anomaly. It's, in fact, uh, a, a, a likely backed coincidence here for good reason. So that's my worry. That's a good point, Dan, because, look, I'm not making excuses for Jessica and Josh, but, boy, has she kind of looked a little flat in some of her fights, I don't I don't want to take away from her opponent's wins or anything, but man, she's like on four fights just this year alone. So yeah, it, it can happen where a fighter can just be stale on fight night because it's just been too much too much, you know, too frequently if you're not getting enough of that time off. And the fighters aren't gonna turn down a payday if they're okay and the UFC's leaning on them, they feel like they're part of the team, you know, like, oh, I'm I'm one of your guys or gals, and so they'll they'll go out there. Luckily, Strickland just doesn't seem to take days off he's always in shape so hopefully he can you know maximize his strength which is cardio we have seen izzy tire at some of the end of his fights i should say slow down they all tire right slow down and maybe if he just continues pushing it pushing it and not taking up damage things can get interesting at the end i want to give a shout out to vincent gonzava he's tuning in today uh and then also West Coast says, uh, sorry, that's the other Sean he's talking about. Let's go to Chris. He says, Sean will have to be defending the take. No, he's still talking about Aljo. There's no way Sean's going to be defending the uh, the takedown for five minutes. Izzy's not doing that. So, anyway, sorry. I'm, I'm uh, confusing the T. Sean comments there. Why don't I just move on? How about that? Anyway, uh, one last thing. Adesanya did say this. If Strickland talks a lot of trash, he's going to break his jaw. So, he's going to make the trash talk interesting. Uh, from his end. Anyway, Bellator 300 has an official date and location. October 7th, San Diego. Four title fights for this big event. Let's take a closer look at uh, what they present to us on October 7th down in San Diego. And watch for that run. Oh, it's over. Big shot! It's it is coming up in just a few seconds. Ryan Darmadey presenting Linton 
Jordan, Big Swan, Benson Henderson. Big shot by Brett Primus. Usman Nurmagomedov, the champion against Brett Primus. Chris Cyborg. Chris Cyborg makes the statement out of San Diego, California. Pretty crazy. The last two are close friends and training partners. I want to see that one, Carmouche and Lima Lay McFarlane. Uh, all right, guys, I got to get a reaction out of you guys. That's pretty impressive. I think most of them are pretty deserving. Obviously, the Grand Prix, I would have liked for that to serve. Uh, never mind. I, you know, I, I'm just pretty excited about Vassell, Zinganu. Uh, over, overall, I think Bellator did pretty good on this card. So I got some follow-ups. So let me get a reaction from you guys. Goes, go ahead. Well, you, I mean, you can't argue with four title fights, right? Like, that's pretty impressive to put that together. The only thing that scares me is if you have a snoozer of a fight, it goes five rounds of a snoozer and then three. But I think overall, I mean, it's pretty amazing what they put together. The fight that stands out the most to me, Kat Zingano and Chris Cyborg. I mean, finally, they've been going back and forth at each other. And, you know, a lot of smack talk. It got pretty personal. Cyborg's on my list, though, of people I do not want to piss off. At the same time, Kat Zingano, quietly, I mean, look at what she's done in her career, right? Like Misha Tate, Amanda Nunes, Raquel Pennington, Mary Ronello. Those are solid wins. It kind of gives you the feeling, if we go back to another segment where we were talking about Luke Rockhold and Michael Bisbing, right? Like, you just never know with this girl. Uh, but Chris Cyborg is such a tough out, man. I, that alone would have gotten me to tune in. Now you add in three more title fights. I think Bellator did a really good job here. I, I'm, I'm definitely tuning in. I might even be there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it is a pretty sick card. Uh, Nolan, any thoughts on this? I know you're close to the Bellator organization because you've covered them a lot for us. So I'm going to throw you an additional, aside from the reaction. There are rumors that this could be it for Bellator as well. Now, Scott Coker has also done some media, and he's saying, no, we're already planning ahead. So there's different ways in which a Bellator era could or could not end, allegedly. Uh, share your thoughts on what you know. Yeah, I mean, first of all, about this card, I think they went in the right direction with the four title fights. They were kind of at a point in time, in my opinion, where there were a lot of, again, Bellator maybe does things a little bit more merit-based than just, like, trying to to have fighters that are number seven jump in the title fight because it's more they're more promotable, exciting, or whatever. So they're kind of at a point where um, I felt like maybe some of the fights weren't like the biggest or most exciting matchups on paper that they've had recently. But I think they did a nice job of making sure that four title fights are on the card. That makes it special, right? Like, sure, you can put together, if you're the UFC and you want to, at UFC 200, put together Connor and Nate, huge fight. John Jones and Cormier, huge fight. If you want to go that route, like that would have been for, Bell for you know, in comparison to Bellator, for Bellator 300 at this point in time would have been probably like Patchy Mix and Sergio Pettis, like those sort of fights that I think would really draw in maybe more of the Bellator casuals to watch. But 
with that maybe not at their disposal or maybe their contracts that need to be fulfilled, I think they did a really good job of putting the four title fights. That's what really makes this a special event. Now, in terms of it being the last fight or the last event in Bellator history, I know Scott Coker has come out and said that's not true. But I can't really speak to that. It seems like a lot of the fighters are, are um, pretty much left in the dark. Like some of the employees seem to be left in the dark. You know, it seems like those sort of conversations are taking place very, very high up the ladder. Now, I will say that I think something that people maybe don't understand is that I think there's a lot of people out there that think, and it, you know, maybe this could happen, but I don't think it's a definite thing that you would have, you know, Bellator be sold to PFL and that would just be it. That that would like wherever they had, their calendar was built out to, that's it. After that, no more Bellator. Whereas I think like we've seen with other, when the UFC acquired Strikeforce and when they acquired WEC, like the promotion still ran independently for a little while while they kind of had this transition period. Maybe they could make sure some deals that they had with, you know, whoever, whatever sort of energy drink to have it on the canvas or TV deals or fighters, you know, trying to maybe trim the roster, see who they want to bring over. So I don't necessarily think even if belts are sold tomorrow, that there won't be a Bellator 301 or 302. So just something to keep in mind for people. Um, I think if, if Coker's really hammering this angle that there's going to be a 301 or in 302, then I think that I believe him. I think that's a very easy thing to go back afterwards and say, bro, you just said you, you told you like lied to our face. You know what I mean? It's not, there wasn't some sort of wishy-washy um, backdoor that he could sneak out and say, well, I thought things were moving towards that or whatever. Like he was like, no, we still got two more, you know, whatever amount of events coming after 300. So uh, interesting times at Bellator. A lot of people, like I said, kind of in the dark, not sure what's going on. But um, yeah, I think the 300 will be a good milestone for them. And we'll see whatever, however many 300s they get into. Mm -hmm. All right. Dan, Tom, man, you're going to have a busy week. We lean on you to handicap or to, you know, break down these big fights. You got four title fights to worry about in early October. But give me your reaction to uh, Bellator splashing that that uh crazy card on us for bellator 300 we almost gave me a live reaction of a heart attack because i'm just thinking about like doing four in-depths which i'm sure our our, our fearless leader will not uh, have me do but we'll, we'll definitely have preview material uh and, and and some 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 really good stuff up of course it deserves it anytime you do the big numbered events as you guys know with mma junkie radio i mean how many landmark episodes have you guys done you know uh, I, I feel like i'm coming up on 400 with my with my small show and I feel like I should do something for that. But as you guys have, have, have kind of had to sort through 100, 300, 500, 1,000, these feel like more standout numbers, right? So it's good to see them roll out that deck for 300. Uh, I will say, uh, you know, I, I, being on the ground covering Bellator Hawaii with the vitamin D, Deanna Bennett Waitness, which put Bellator in a real strange situation, you know, um, as far as that went, right? Because if she would have won, which she was going to likely do on the scorecards, it would have ended up being a vacated title. And, you know, just from a year on the ground, someone on the ground, folks, uh, Liz and Alima Le may or may not have had a discussion and verbally agreed to fight each other. Of course, that could not have been happening, uh, made to happen. Bellator, of course, did a double event as they tend to do in Hawaii. They were fighting on different nights. There were different weigh-ins. One fighter already, you know, uh, what weighed in one hadn't yet so uh, obviously that couldn't happen but these two have been down to fight each other for a minute on multiple occasions whether uh, people know that or not uh, so I think it's great of course Linton Vassal by the way for you uh, MMA gamblers I know I know there's been a lot of chalk on the Bellator side of these cards but Vassal has been kind of a quiet money train gets his rematch that's nice and uh, I'll leave you guys with this of course we got our man Nolan by the way 
nomination for uh, Journalist of the Year. Well-deserved. Of course, we got our guy, Mike Bond. Junkie always has good represent representation on there. So we're very lucky to have these people on the ground. So I won't waste your time with an educated answer. But the funny kind of analyst answer as far as if you want to know if Strike for not Strike Force, if Bellator is going to be sold. But guys, you remember back to the Strike Force era before this, the, the, you know, uh, you know, the sale was going to happen before it was in talks and, and kind of that period. I mean, I have never seen Scott Coker since or before sweat so much. It was like a comical thing for me. Like, let's tune in and watch Scott Coker sweat. And like, you, you know, you know, he, he was in that point where he was really trying to sell the business. Like, oh yeah, we're doing great. We're doing, and you would just see the sweat pour. Like he was like the sweaty guy from the critic deep nineties pool there. So I think that uh, if you don't have any <laughs> intel on the conversations, just look on how much Scott Coker sweating. If we see a lot of sweat, there's a sale coming. Uh-oh, I'm a sweaty guy too, man. I hope people don't start reading me. <laughs> but uh, no, good stuff there, Dan. And by the way, a big shout-out to Willie Malay McFarland, who's raised over $1 million for the people out in uh, Hawaii, more specifically Maui. There's been a tragedy there, as you all know. Uh, my man, Dan Tom, his family, his circle has been affected. We pray for his family and friends. Billy Malay. We'll be speaking to Kendall Grove uh, later on. So please be on the lookout for stuff like that. Kudos to the UFC for donating $1 million for the relief as well. And I and I know that uh, obviously the country as a whole will be backing Hawaii. I've already heard the president say that uh, relief and more stuff like that is coming. But man, to see some of the devastation that's out there, uh, definitely our thoughts and prayers are with you all, our brothers and sisters in that beautiful state out out there in the uh, in the Pacific. All right, so some reaction here. Mulatto Vanguard says, looks like a stacked card. Chris says, decent Bellator card. Chris was double as a Russian judge in figure skating. He's a little harsh there. I thought I, I thought it was a great card. Um, uh, let's see here. Five-round criticism is spot on. However, I feel like this is the best Bellator card we've had in years, according to Scott Christian. Shout out to Jason Everly watching on Facebook. And yes, we've been on Facebook now for a few weeks. And if you are on Facebook, you can hit the share and maybe share it with your MMA buddies, anyone else that you know that would appreciate the show. We come strong every week, one hour tackling all the biggest topics in mixed martial arts. And here on YouTube, of course, the like and subscribe. You hear it on other people's channels. It's true, that algorithm, it'd be tripping. But that is one of the keys there is hit the like and subscribe. Uh, and we're going to continue on here. Dan, Congrats on getting close to 400, man. That's really, really cool. Protect mm -hmm. Your Neck podcast, folks. Give that uh, a listen. I do before I put my money on the fights every weekend. We're going to move on here, though. If we have anything to talk about, we'll circle back. But it is a nice card that Bellator has put together for us. Um, an antitrust lawsuit was filed by former UFC fighters seeking damages from the promotion. So this was like in 2014. And now there's been an update. They have been granted class certification known as bout class certification what does that mean what is the significance well here's the definition specific to this lawsuit for bout class all persons who competed in one or more live professional usc promoted mma bouts taking place or broadcast in the united states from december 16 2010 to june 30th 2017 that the, excuse me the bout class excludes all persons who are not residents or citizens of the united states unless the UFC paid for persons competing in a bout fought in the United States. So 
that is definitely a step forward for that group of fighters. And now, obviously, since it's going to be a class action lawsuit, it's going to open it up to about, I think they estimate 1,200 fighters that may have fought during that timeline. All right, Nolan, we go back to you to start things off on this topic. Uh, please share your thoughts. I know this is pretty big for uh, these fighters that, that have started through this journey, and obviously it's grown, but the original group that, that started things out, this was a big W for them. Yeah, it was. And it's interesting because it seemed like this was indicated a few years ago in 2020 that this was going to happen and it took this long to kind of officially have it set in stone. So uh, it was interesting to, to go through and, and kind of read the, the 80 page document that the judge put forth. Um, you know, as you said, they uh, they were identified as the, the, the bout class got identification, the identity class, which was more towards merchandising and, and guys that had been, um, you know, that the UFC had used in the, the merchandise department that got de denied. So um, basically for people just in layman's terms, this is just identifying who, you know, can be part of this, uh, this lawsuit or who, if, if the fighters come out and they, uh, you know, just identifying who's on the, on that side. Right. So, um, I, I definitely recommend for people that are, want to read more about this, that real, really want a timeline. John Nash from Bloody Elbow has done an excellent job. This has been his beat. Um, I, you know, learned a lot of stuff from reading his, uh, from reading his different stories throughout the years and, and some of the other great reporters that are out there as I kind of caught up on this beat, right? This has been something that's been going on for so long. It really pre, it's, it precedes me in my, uh, you know, in my tenure here with Junkie. So there was some back reading that I certainly had to do. Uh, I think John Morgan and, and some of the other guys had done it for us in the past. Um, but definitely uh, something that, that I think is a big step forward for the fighters. I think um, it's something that knowing these legal proceedings, it's probably going to take a while before anything, uh, any sort of, you know, decisions reached or anything major comes out of this, but it's a step in the right direction. I mean, essentially uh, what this is kind of laying the groundwork for is, is potentially changing, you know, sure that the, the fighters might not get money out of this, but at the same time too, um, you know, it could be something that ends up having bigger ramifications. It could be something that ends up having, you know, um, sort of the, the contracts change going forward. This could affect future generations of fighters to make it easier for them to go to the market and, and to uh, kind of test the waters and go to other promotions. And so it, this could have potentially massive, massive implications down the line. I'm sure it might take years, but you got to start somewhere. And um, I think that the fighters that were on in this involved in this lawsuit must be thrilled with uh, with the outcome. Oh, yeah. Contract length, restrictions, pay. And look, two that have recently been able to at least get out of a, a UFC contract um, have and will be cashing big checks. I'm talking, of course, about Nate Diaz and Francis Ngannou. But yes, this could be big. You said big money. It says $800 million to $1.6 billion. But because this is an antitrust, sorry, a class action, they, uh, they, they could triple uh the amounts there if they were to you know win what's reported here of 800 million to 1.6 billion that's 2.4 to 4.8 billion that it could cost the ufc uh this could be a big win for the fighters for sure all right dan how about you man you and goes were there at abc shout out to you guys you guys were ironman last week going to a lot of what uh was presented there and i know this topic came up your thoughts please Hey, you were there too, buddy. Uh, uh, don't sell yourself short there. Uh, Junkie had, again, we're lucky to be with Junkie folks, and we, we got a good representation on the ground uh, in multiple facets, right? And, yeah, they did talk about this there. 
And I'm glad Nolan shouted out John Nash because he's somebody that I've been following on this, whether it's reading uh, or listening to his work. I know it's not my beat. Uh, that, that's not why Junkie has me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fight analyst here. But maybe it's because I come from that side of the fence uh, and I'm still, uh, you know, know these fighters, know the fighters affected and uh, I'm still an independent contractor myself. And we all, you know, there are commonalities, uh, regardless of whether or not you want to keep that same energy and call yourself a fan of the sport, as far as why you maybe should care about these things. Um, that being said, uh, more educated people like myself, when you guys did a great job laying out the classes. I will say, though, um, as far as that group of fighters that George was referring to, uh, John Nash did say with the judge passing bout class but denying identity class, uh, of those original names uh, mentioned, I guess the only person affected from that is Nate Quarry. I don't know how that affects if this goes to settlement. Again, I'm not a lawyer or anything like that, but a, a more educated people than me, you know, if you're doing gambling odds, you know, uh, the, the odds that this will pass as is, is low. It's much higher that this will either get tied up in court for longer as things can happen, especially when you have the money and the appeals go through, right? Uh, certain circuits, I believe the ninth circuit, but like, or you could get, you know, the typical things where it's a settlement and there, you know, hopefully there, there are changes written in when, when the, if it does come down to a settlement agreement, but more like when Nolan talked about, there are indirect sort of kind of uh, uh, affects that can happen with contracts going forward. Um, we've seen UFC react one way and close holes when Ngannou did certain things like sunset clauses. Um, hopefully we'll see limitations as far as that. And not just that, but maybe even bringing back, maybe moving those goal lines, so to speak, right, in favor of the fighters and the contracts and giving them kind of better matching rights and, and just more rights uh, in general. So it's really interesting to follow. Um, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll be able to keep you guys uh, in tune with any updates that come down the road. All right. Goes, we go to you. You've obviously been doing this for a long time, and it was noted earlier one of the guys was talking about WEC Strike Force when they got out by the UFC. And I think that's been one of the fighters' main complaints is we never found our true value because basically we were only able to negotiate with one party because all the promotions eventually got up. I know that the UFC has been accused of being in a, a monopoly and obviously i know there's been other promotions that have been around so not necessarily by definition is that true but at certain points in times it feels like it, it kind of has been true at least according to some fighters but what are your thoughts on this recent development well look man i think uh when we talk about immediate impact the, the biggest impact is just how many fighters this umbrella is going to reach now right how many fighters can get what they feel they deserve for what they've been through in the UFC in the past, right? It's a lot of money that we're talking about. But another immediate impact that you have to think about is the spotlight that it generates, right? If you're watching us right now, okay, this is MMA junkie. This is all we talk about. You're probably a hardcore of the sport. You probably go and you, you read all these articles all day. And I'm sure you guys catch other sports and all that. But you being here right now says a lot about your interest in mixed martial arts. And that doesn't go all the way across for every fan. The UFC fans are not all hardcore fans. And a lot of them don't know about some of these stories that go on behind the scenes. So something like this generates a giant spotlight on what's been going on. And I think that is a big impact, right? It's an impact on, on how the UFC runs their company, what people think of them, how they do their things, right? Like every every entity has their own scandal right the nfl's had their concussion stuff nba goes through their stuff nhl mlb all that but not a lot gets talked about mixed martial arts behind the scenes and i think that's what's pretty big about what happened here um the spotlight that it generates on on what's going on and 
moving forward, what that could do to the UFC, right? Like, is the UFC really going to want to keep doing the things that they're doing? Their business practices could change because of something like this. And even the slightest change for the UFC and how they they do their contracts, how they negotiate with fighters, how they treat fighters, just one of those little changes could be absolutely massive for mixed martial arts, for the fighters, their futures, how they how they handle their careers. I think that is one of the immediate impacts of the spotlight that these people are putting on some of these practices. And that may change soon. Mm-hmm. All right. Good that, that, that's a great right. point. Go ahead. So I just want to say that's a great point by goes and just well said, like home run right there goes with everything mm-hmm. you said. Uh, and just to add on to that, I think we already are seeing that with the way uh, criticisms, whether it's of slap or even things that have been around and that we've liked like contender series, um, you know, even though I, I've kept that same energy, I won't lie. My my coverage and opinions have gotten stronger over the years. But as has everybody else's to the to Goza's point, the stuff makes you go and realize like, oh, I see what they're doing here. They're setting up a labor market over here that they can kind of exploit for for for, for a bit of cheap labor. And I know that's that's my opinion coming through there, but uh, I'm not alone in that. And we're seeing those those kind of dissenting voices um, kind of grow as we are able to actually see more of what goes on in the back door, so to speak, like Goza said. All right, For anybody guys. that's interested in kind of forming their own opinion too, I'll just add the story we came out with has the 80 page document. So you can go in there and read it. There's all sorts of like different examples of things that have happened over time. Emails between Dana and Lorenzo and Joe Silva and Sean Shelby and or whichever combination yeah. of them. So anybody that is interested in uh, kind of taking a deep dive, that, that resource is there for you as well. Mm-hmm. Good stuff, guys. Let's move on here. You guys can keep the questions and comments coming. I'm trying to catch up. There's one here. Uh, does BM Bellator MMA PFL one pay their fighters? Uh, of course they do. They have guys fighting in less than 10 and 10, if unless I'm mistaken. Um, yes, they do, but at the same time, they haven't been around as as long as the UFC, and I don't think they have the reported revenue that the UFC has, but uh, a lot of fighters that I know that have gone to Bellator have not complained, and I've seen some PFL payments. Those have been pretty good, too. Yes, the lower end, it's the same in boxing. It, we wish that could definitely get better as well. Um, all right, let's move on here. So old Connie Mack, Conor McGregor, appeared in London for Anthony Joshua's boxing match, and he said his UFC return plan is Chandler in December, then Justin Gaethje for the BMF title, and then Nate Diaz. He uh, told that to Gareth Davies, a, a media colleague of ours. He also called out KSI and force-fed uh, Anthony Joshua a beer. Anyways, guys, will any of this happen? How are you feeling about the claiming of a December return with no USADA update? So as you all know, you have to be in the USADA pool once you've been out for six months. There is an exemption, but... The UFC, at least I've heard Dana White say, I'm going to turn to USADA for that. USADA is going to handle it however they want. That's how it is. And USADA has put out a statement that says, we want our athletes to go through six months. And that's where the controversy is, folks. We're, 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 not at, we're past six months. So, so we're, inside, we're inside that window. And that's why it sounds foreign to us. It's not like we don't want Conor McGregor to fight. We're not trying to sound gross over here. But anyway, Dan, what are your thoughts? You know, all the Conor McGregor skiing emojis aside, which I don't think those skiing emojis stand for skiing, by the way, of him riding the slopes or whatever that is, but there are a lot of slopes uh, that go left to right when we're talking about 
this Conor McGregor situation. And it makes sense that, that, but that's not the point, you know, do things make sense, right? Do they make dollars and do they make sense? Yes. Yes. Checkbox, checkbox. But at the end of the day, can we trust Conor McGregor to come back? Even if he wants to come back, that some legal thing doesn't happen. I mean, you know, he's still out there partying on the boats, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, I don't know what his McGregor fit program is. It's dumbbells riding a Lamborghini boat. I think something to do with chasing women. I don't know what's going on out there, but let's just be honest. This guy could do anything to take him out of contention of all those fights. Uh, I'm just not going to, you know, uh, you know me, guys. I'm not, I, I, I don't get too big over these. Uh, ooh, when are these, these popular guys going to come back? Like, I just, when, when the contracts are signed and when we're getting closer to fight week, that's when I lock in. So I'm not getting excited about it. I can't blame you, Dan. Seriously, honestly, you're right. Until it happens, all this is just... But anyways, um, how about you, Goes? Uh, what are your thoughts here? You know, of course, we all get excited when we hear that he is coming back. It is a serious injury. I get it. I've seen, you know, Chris Weidman's going to be returning, if I'm not mistaken, this week since he broke his leg against Uriah Hall. It took Anderson Silva, I think, almost two years to come back. But um, anyways, what are your thoughts here? I think it's one of the worst three fight parlays we could ever come up with. Like there, there's so much that has to happen for this to, to actually take place. Right. Like let's, let's just start with until we see it on paper, it's just talk. Right. I mean, we've gotten a lot of this from, from Conor McGregor. If you look at Michael Chandler, I think that's the right opponent. I'm glad that's where he's going to start. I think it's a fight that has to happen, but it is the most important piece of the puzzle because after that, you have Justin Gagey, right, who he wants to fight. You're not going to see Justin Gagey if you lose to Michael Chandler. You have to beat Michael Chandler, right? That's a tough out in itself, but Conor McGregor is a good fighter. It could very well happen. The Nate Diaz fight, that's kind of on the table no matter what, right? I mean, I think they could just keep losing fights. The only numbers that really matter is one and one, right? They both have a win over each other, so at any moment you can make that fight happen. But is that fight really what it was a couple years ago? Like, that was something that we all wanted to see. I don't know about you guys, man, but I'm kind of over that fight now. Like, I it, I get it. They're 1-1, one, one, and, and, and somebody's got to lose. We want to see that part of it. But is the fight itself going to be entertaining? And is it going to be anywhere near what they were the first two times they fought? Like, they just seem like completely different fighters now. I don't know that I'm that excited over that fight as I was years ago, okay? And so... You look at Justin Gagey, Conor McGregor is a great fighter, but honestly, this is just my opinion. I think Justin Gagey's his kryptonite. I think a fighter like that, that throws from angles the way that Justin does. Um, if you look at his last fight, he's finally starting to shore up his defense a little bit. And the leg kicks, I think he's just going to batter those legs. If I'm Conor McGregor, I never say Justin Gagey's name ever again. That is a nightmare matchup. I stay away from that. So for all of this to happen, um, to even get to that Nate Diaz fight, which is the third fight on this parlay, we're talking years, guys, before this even happens. Like, what are we doing here? Are we even going to see that? Are we even going to get that? Does he even have two years left? And, and that's like best case scenario. It's a lot. It gets us to talk. And I think that's what's important for Conor McGregor is to stay in the news. It's good for his career. But uh, I think, you know, the more and more that we have to wait, the less and less interested we are. Let's just get that Michael Chandler fight on paper and let's see those two fight. And then we move from there. All right. Nolan, how about you? Do you share optimism or pessimism when it comes to not just the the three fight parlay McGregor threw at us, but just the return in general? Or do you even think uh, he deserves all this? 
there's a large part of me that just wants to reenact the infamous Stephen A. Smith gif of just, we don't care. Because that that's deep down inside, there's a part of me that just wants to stop hearing about this. But the fact is, it is Conor McGregor, and we do care. He's the biggest star in the sport. He could show up tomorrow and, you know, outdo all the numbers that we've seen this year in terms of popularity and a heartbeat. So it's tough for me to say that I don't care, but there is a certain amount of fatigue, especially when you seem to get updates constantly that kind of lead you in a direction that you know that there's not necessarily been progress. Like, you know, Connor comes out, I'm back. USADA comes out, you got to, no, you got to do this. Dana White comes out, oh, I don't get involved in that. Then Connor says he's not fighting Chandler. Then Dana says he is. Then Connor says he is. Then Connor says he wants Gaethje after that. So it's a mess. It's it's almost too hard to keep up with and kind of sift through if there's even any truth in any of this stuff. Um, I guess really I'll start getting my excitement levels up when we get some sort of actual update from from either USADA, either he goes in the pool, either the UFC puts out something or USADA puts out something saying he has an exception exemption or there's a fight announcement, something. I need something that's a little more than just him blurting out names and saying he wants this guy and Dana saying that he's still going to fight Chandler. Like, it just it's the same thing over and over again. So when he's back, I'll get excited, whether it's against Chandler, whether it's against Gaethje, whether it's against Diaz. Um, doesn't matter to me. I think those are all massive fights. The Nate one, we talk about it every other week here. We want to see that eventually. <laughs> um, but, yeah, man, it's just the, the Connor fatigue is, is a bit real right now. Yeah, Chris in the chat room says it's time to move on from Connor. Lucas S says Connor is running from Charles. Uh, Chris repeats he does not have the same killer instinct since the Floyd scrap. Yeah, you know what? Piss in a cup first, and then we'll get excited. But when Connor does, when it is a Connor fight week, it's amazing. But I will say this when I peek at his Instagram and it shows him with his family and his kids, I'm like, dude, just enjoy that. You know, you don't need to come back to mixed martial arts. You kind of won the game. You won two titles. It's very impressive. Just enjoy that, you know. Just enjoy your family and enjoy the money and the fortune and be happy. But apparently he wants to come back and keep scrapping. So we'll uh, we'll cover it when he does. All right, so Dana White was asked about Nate Diaz's performance versus Jake Paul. And uh, we have a cut of that. Let's play that, and then I got some questions for you guys. It was with Nate Diaz last week, and he was very complimentary about the UFC. He said he missed the UFC. I know that he said he wants to come back. Is that something that you reach out to him, or do you wait and see if he reaches out to you? Well, we, we feel the same way about Nate, you know, always have. You know, I've always joked around about dealing with the Diaz brothers, but, um, you know, th th these two, you see it now. I mean, they're two iconic fighters that 20 years from now, everybody will remember and, and, and talk about, and, you know, um, this will always be Nate's house, you know. Nate, Nate grew up here. He came in on the Ultimate Fighter. You know, he fought some of the biggest fights ever here, and, you know, we'd love the kid. I, I don't know about fighting in the future, but this is always going to be his house, and, you know, we'll see. Did you enjoy his guillotine that he got in the 10th round? Did I what? Did you enjoy his guillotine that he got on Jake? <laughs> I saw it on the Internet, yeah. I, you know, um, for, for, for a kid... Pushing 40 years old, fighting a guy four weight classes bigger than him in boxing and two in MMA, and going the distance. You know what I mean? At his age against a fucking 20-something-year-old kid. He, so far, he, he's, he's, he's fared the best, you know, out of everybody. He, he looked good. I'm happy for him. All right, so you've heard a little bit there from the UFC president. And, of course, Nate Diaz has done 
some post-fight uh, media in in the actual ring, and then the press conference, and then some other stuff. And after hearing all that, guys, I want to know: Do you think Diaz will return to the UFC? Goes. I think it's a possibility. I think what Dana realizes is that Nate's still a needle mover. You know that 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 a lot of people were watching that fight with Jake Paul, and it was pretty interesting. And to be fair, I feel like Nate Diaz is kind of playing the same game the other way, right? I think he still feels like there's money to be made with with the UFC. So um, I, I think they just want to stay in their good graces. They're going to say nice things about each other because I do feel like deep down in their hearts. They, they both want to reunite and do something one more time. It's probably going to be that Conor McGregor fight. Uh, maybe a Dustin Poirier fight. I don't know. But uh, I, I think it's just kind of like, uh, you know, everybody's breakups are a little different. And you know, when your boy is talking about a girl and he's not saying too many bad things, it's because he thinks later on they might reconnect. And I think that's what's <laughs> going on. All right. Good analogy goes. All right, Nolan. So how about you, man? Do you think Nate Diaz returns or is Diaz Paul kind of something he doesn't want to get away from? Plus, remember, he was a promoter in this one, not just a fighter. Maybe he got a taste of a different type of money that comes in. Yeah, I think we see Nate back in the UFC. I mean, think about it this way, right? There was such a public fight about getting him out of the contract. And when he finally became a free agent, he put out a statement saying that he wants to go back to the UFC someday. So for somebody to come out at that point in time and, and say that, I think speaks a lot. I think he was trying to set the tone, trying to squash any bad feelings. And he's, I mean, he's kept consistent saying the same thing since then. And Dane has obviously been very cordial towards him, non-committal, but cordial. Um, so that makes me think, you know, maybe, maybe not. Like, we'll see what kind of opportunities are out there. But I'm sure if Nate goes back to them tomorrow and says, hey, I want to fight again, and the numbers are right, like, it's a no-brainer for the UFC to, to bring him back and, have him fight, whether it's Connor or somebody else in the meantime, before Connor. Mm-hmm. All right. Dan, real quick, your thoughts. Diaz, does he come back to the UFC or not? And for those that are asking about the Dana White Contender Series weigh-in, yes, it's going to start right after us. It'll be a different stream, but here on MMA Junkie. So stay tuned. We got another 90 seconds to go. Go ahead, Dan. Uh, I'll leave the door open for it. I'll just add that. I think another reason why Dana does the yeah, this is all the UFC is always his house. Uh, I think a lot of that is just again uh, the brand over the fighter and making sure that the brand is you know what's in, in in the image as far as the telling of the story. You know, UFC likes to make sure it has its own his- version of history out there, histrionics, and I think that's a lot of that where a lot of that comes from. To where if Nate doesn't, um, Nate will still be remembered as a UFC fighter, not Nate Diaz, not Nate fighting Jake Paul. He's a UFC guy. There's a lot of that in there. Yeah. All right, good stuff, guys. You knocked it out of the park, as always. Goes and I will be hosting a watch-along here on MMA Junkie on Saturday for UFC 292, so uh, check that out on Saturday night. Watch the fights along with us, especially those of you that choose not to get the pay-per-view. We'll tell you what's happening in real time. Check out Dan's podcast, Protect Your Neck. Again, a shout-out to him. He's closing in on 400 episodes. Nolan, congrats again for being nominated for uh, Best Journalist. Mike Bond behind the scenes. He's had a few of those, man. He's a gangster as well. Shout out to him for being on the ones and twos today. MMA Junkie was also up for best media source. We'd love to get your vote there. And uh, lastly, hit the like and subscribe here before you exit. Remember, there's another stream starting up here in about 30 seconds. Hit that like and subscribe as well. It would really mean a lot to us. We'll see you all here next week for Spinning Back Click, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. Until then, go out and be a champion.